What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode one of the Robson Sportscast. I'm your man, your host, Alex Robson. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, I just want to thank you for tuning in. And I hope you're ready, because we're going to have one heck of a ride here on the Robson Sportscast. we got a lot to talk about today, so let's just go ahead and jump right into it, shall we? As the title of the episode suggests, we're going to be first talking about Dak Prescott versus the Dallas Cowboys, and who has more leverage in the contract negotiations. So, as we know, the Dallas Cowboys have offered Dak Prescott a five-year, $175 million contract. Dak Prescott has turned that down. And in case you're wondering, that contract would make him the highest-paid player in the NFL. Well, correction, highest-paid quarterback. I don't know about player. I just want to dive into that because, before, and before we start, I just want to say I like Dak Prescott. I'm a fan of Dak Prescott. I'm a fan of what he's done so far. He, for where he was drafted by the Cowboys to where he is now, I'm a big fan of Dak Prescott. He's a great story. But that's a lot of money. And the Dallas Cowboys have a lot of needs on the defensive secondary position primarily. So cornerback, safety, they have a lot of holes there. Especially after the departure of uh, Byron Jones to the Miami Dolphins. If they were to give him that money, and he's asking for that last year of the deal and his what he wants, that last year of his contract, about four or five year deal that he wants, he wants $45 million at that very end of the deal. That's a lot of money that could be going to a lot of different places. Specifically that secondary. That would put the Cowboys in salary cap hell. Because that way they couldn't make big moves. They couldn't sign the big guys. They would have to just hope they draft well. Which the draft can be make or break. I mean, we've seen Tom Brady, six-round pick, greatest quarterback of all time. And then we see guys picked first overall that barely see the football field and are absolute garbage. Maybe a Jamarcus Russell when Oakland drafted him. Sent him a bunch of tapes that were blank. Asked him the next day, what did he watch? He said he watched blitz packages. And like I said, the tapes were blank. I mean, you can't... I mean, drafting is just so difficult, and especially for defense. That's a home run you have to hit when it comes to defensive draft picks. So this would put the Cowboys in a big bind if they were to sign Dak Prescott in this big deal. So let's dive into Dak Prescott a little bit. He's played four years in the NFL, and he plays in the NFC East, which is notorious for being an up-and-down, side-to-side, just crazy division. He's got a good record. He's 18-6 and six against the division opponents. 7-1 against the Redskins, 6-2 and two against the Giants, 5-3 and three against the Eagles. That's good. You beat your division. But as I said, that division is so just inconsistent. I mean that the la- since 2010, there have been exact total zero back-to-back winners, zero, nada, zilch. In fact, the last time a team won the NFC back-to-back years is when the Eagles won four straight from 2001 to 2004. That's a good long while ago. That division has flip-flopped like like a fish out of water. It's been insane. But still, 18-6 against your division is good. He's won the division before. He's been to the playoffs. I mean, Dak Prescott has won games. Against teams below 500, he is 29-5. The 64-9 to touchdown-interception ratio. That's real good. That's good. Real good. Very impressive, if I will say. You beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And... Sometimes quarterbacks don't even do that, and they're supposed to, and they have a bigger role than Dak Prescott. But this is where things start to go a little the boat that's straight right now with what I've said so far. But now it's starting to tilt and sink a little bit. His record through his career against teams 500 or better: six and 17 with a 25-25 touchdown interception ratio. Just last season. He had an 8-8 to touchdown-to-interception ratio and went 1-6. and 
Elite quarterbacks don't do that. Elite quarterbacks beat the teams or beat the better teams. Guys like Patrick Mahomes. Guys like Russell Wilson. Guys like Aaron Rodgers. They beat those teams. Those they beat the teams that are contenders. So, as I mentioned, the contract would make Dak Prescott the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. The current highest-paid right now is Russell Wilson. A couple years ago, he signed a five-year, $157 million deal, making him the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. He's 26-21 and 21 against winning teams in his career. Now, he's been in the league for almost a decade now. That's real good, though. Again... Elite quarterbacks beat the teams, not only that they're supposed to beat, but sometimes they have to beat the teams they're not supposed to beat. And that's the thing that makes an elite quarterback. Sure, every every now and again you have those games that were just nothing seems to be going right. I mean, Russell Wilson's had those games. I mean, he had one bad year. Not statistically, but the Seahawks didn't make the playoffs. They went 7-9. That was a couple years ago. Things happen throughout the season. People get hurt. You can People lose their quarterbacks, their running backs, their left tackle, their superstar corner. I mean, people lose, teams lose people. Things happen. And especially that year that I just mentioned with the Seahawks went 7-9, the one year in Russell Wilson's tenure in Seattle that they had missed the playoffs. A lot happened that year. That was a lot of change. I think that was the fall of the Legion of Boom, too. That was the last year, and they weren't not, not a lot of them were healthy. That was a rough year for Seahawks. But then they came back and made the playoffs the next year. When everybody came back healthy. Elite quarterbacks beat the teams even sometimes they're not supposed to beat. Over the past three years in the NFL, Russell Wilson has thrown 100 touchdown passes. Exactly. A triple digits, 103 seasons. In second place behind him, has 15 less than that. Look it up, Tom Brady. That's who has it. And he's second most. Right behind Wilson, who's 15 more than him. Now, Dak Prescott has 74 touchdown passes the past three seasons. Which is not bad. But you got to think of what Russell Wilson... And Dak Prescott have had to work with. Russell Wilson the past few seasons has had to be running for his life. Because he has had a horrendous offensive line. I mean, absolutely terrible offensive Like, bottom of the league offensive lines. I mean, it, they're... They're still bad. Like, they're still bad at offensive line. Why they don't draft offensive linemen to protect Russell Wilson, I don't know. They seem to draft for fit than anything else, which is just stupid. Draft for fit, sure, that works in some cases. But when you got a franchise guy like Russell Wilson, you should protect him. Let's just let's get that out of the way. That's my that's my rant, my random rant in the, this episode, hopefully. Dak Prescott has had top five offensive line. He's a superstar running back, top three running back, in my opinion, in Ezekiel Elliott. He's had Des Bryant. He's had Jason Witten. He's had Amari Cooper. He's had an emerging Michael Gallup. He's going to have C.D. Lamb, who's going to be a freak out in that football field. And as much crap as he gets, he's had Jason Garrett, which is an offensive genius. Look at their stats offensive, offensively and their draft picks offensively under Jason Garrett. Now, the defensive stuff, questionable. I, I, I will agree with that. But offense has been immaculate, picking-wise in the draft by Jason Garrett. And phenomenal picks. Dak Prescott works with more, but does less than Russell Wilson. I mean, another thing about Russell Wilson. He wasn't even going to be the starter when he first came into the league. The Seahawks had just signed Matt Flynn. 
Matt Flynn. I wouldn't be shocked if some of you listening have never even heard of him. We backed up Aaron Rodgers a couple years ago, a couple years, I think. If I remember correctly, he was also a New York Jet at one point, too, which I'm a Jets fan. I, I, he was a New York Jet at one point after the Mark Sanchez era, which is remembered by a butt fumble. But anyway. Two years prior to Russell Wilson being there, where Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, one of the best in the business, he coached for two seasons before Russell Wilson was drafted. 7-9 and 7-9. History looks completely different for not only Pete Carroll, but the Seattle Seahawks if Russell Wilson does not start over Matt Flynn. If Matt Flynn starts over Russell Wilson, the Seahawks have another losing season and Pete Carroll's out of there. Call me crazy all you want, but that's true. You look at Pete Carroll now, he's a legend. He won a Super Bowl. The one Super Bowl that Seattle has in their trophy room is is under Pete Carroll's tenure as head coach. Russell Wilson took an irrelevant franchise in the Seattle Seahawks. They were irrelevant. They had been sure they had been to a Super Bowl, but they got beat by the, the big bad Steelers. They've had an MVP in Sean Alexander. They've had their guys, yes, Steve Largent. I mean, they, they've had their fair share of great players, but it never translated to wins. They've had Beastquake, one of the greatest football moments ever, in my opinion. But they were still irrelevant then. Russell Wilson made the Seattle Seahawks. And he still makes them. If you tell me their backup right now is Geno Smith, I get nightmares just saying that name. Me being a Jets fan. But their backup is Geno Smith. You're going to tell me Geno Smith is going to go in there and have a MVP season that Russell Wilson had last year? Now, he didn't win MVP, but he could have. You're going to tell me that? Tell me Geno Smith's going to do that? With that offensive line? Give an answer. No, he's not. Russell Wilson. Let's just let's just make up a scenario right now. If Russell Wilson hit free agency right now, ninety-five percent of the teams in the NFL will try and get him. The Bengals—they just drafted Joe Burrow, number one. Oh, oh yeah, we'll, we'll we'll take Russ. We'll take Russell Wilson. Joe Burrow can wait a, a year or two. Cleveland Browns, they tried to trade for him a couple years ago with the pick when they picked Baker Mayfield and a couple years ago in the draft. They tried to trade that pick for Russell Wilson. They're like, yeah, yeah. but not, even now still, but they got Baker Mayfield. Well, yeah, we'll take Russ. We'll pair him with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper and David Njoku and an improved offensive line. The New York Jets. They got Sam Donald, who I'm not personally a fan of, but we'll talk about that in another episode, I'm sure. They, they believe in him, but I don't know. We'll, we'll take Russ. We'll take Russ. Jacksonville Jaguars. They're most likely going to have the worst record in the NFL next season, and they're going to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, one of the two. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll take Russell Wilson. If Dak Prescott were to hit the open market right now, Who's in the market for him? I mean, Bengals, as I just mentioned. I'll mention every single team I just did. Bengals, we got Joe Burrow. We believe he's got the potential to be better than Dak. We'll, we'll keep Joe Burrow. Cleveland Browns, oh, we'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll ride with Baker. We know it's been, he had a good rookie year and a pretty rough sophomore year, but we got him a better offensive line. We got him Austin Hooper at tight end. We got him a new head coach. We'll keep Baker. We'll give Baker some more shots. New York Jets. Oh, no, no, no. We got Sam. I mean, he won all but a couple games after he came back from Mono. I mean, he's good. We'll keep Sam Donald. Even the Jaguars with Gardner Minshew as their quarterback. Be like, oh no, no, we'll, we'll just we'll just tank for Trevor next year, or, or tank for tank for Justin. We're, we're we're good, we're good, we're good. Russell Russell Wilson 
has done more with less, while Dak Prescott has done less with more. I mean, Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl. Now, albeit, they did have the Legion of Boom then, one of the greatest defenses of all time. But, I mean, man, like, Dak, what have you done that you think you deserve that kind of money? You have one playoff win. One. And ironically, it was against the Seahawks. But I'm telling you something right now, Dak. If that game was not in Dallas, and if it was in the CenturyLink Field in Seattle, one of the loudest stadiums in the world, you're not winning that football game. The only difference in that football game was, was you were at home. And the Seahawks had some injuries the offensive line that was already incompetent. Now, I want to do a little stats comparison right now. I want to do a little stats comparison. No, it's not about Russell Wilson. I know I've been talking a lot about him so far. But Dak Prescott has been in the league for four years now. Four years. Time flies by, doesn't it? Four seasons already in the NFL for Dak Prescott. In those four seasons, he's thrown for 15,778 passing yards, 97 touchdowns, 37 interceptions. And that's with the top five offensive line, really good weapons, and a good offensive coach. Who I think is going to do really special things with the Giants and Daniel Jones in the future. Maybe not this year because they still have a lot of holes to fill. In this second player, I'm not going to name him yet, but I will in a second. He's been in the league a little longer, but these are his stats through his first four seasons. In his four, first four seasons, he's got 14,758 passing yards, 99 touchdowns, and 66 interceptions. And those are solid, much like Dak Prescott's numbers. Solid. A good quarterback. I would take both those quarterbacks in. If I were a GM right now and I saw those two stats and I had good pieces like the Cowboys, I would run with both those guys. Ladies and gentlemen, listening, the stats I just read off were the stats of Andy Dalton's first four seasons in the NFL. The guy the Dallas Cowboys recently just signed. At first, Dak Prescott had a lot of leverage. Because they had no backup. I don't even know who their backup would be if they hadn't signed Andy Dalton. I don't even know. He had leverage. He was like, who are you going to put in for me if I leave? Jerry. He's talking to Jerry Jones right now. Jerry, who are you going to put in instead of me? Jerry Jones being the mastermind he is, the evil genius, goes out and signs Andy Dalton, who has... Fairly similar stats to Dak Prescott's four first seasons. The only major difference in those numbers is interception total. But they're two different quarterbacks. Dak Prescott is sort of the... and This is a product of Dan Mullen, who was the head coach of Mississippi State when Dak Prescott was there. He's now the head coach of Florida. And if you watch Florida football, you know this. Dan Mullen's preferred offensive scheme is mobile quarterback, lots of running it, and when you pass it, it's either a short slant over the middle or a play-action deep ball. That's the Florida Gators offense. It didn't work out this past season because they had a terrible offensive line, and Felipe Franks got hurt. Deck, uh, and uh, Andy Dalton, the quarterback at TCU. By the way, TCU's in the same... Uh, Conference as Oklahoma, Texas, Baylor, aka the No Defense Conference. This dude flung the football around. He's got a big arm. When I mean big, I mean big. Watch some of his old games before the Bengals fell apart at his feet. He was a good quarterback. And the reason those interception numbers are high is because that's the style of quarterback he was. He's a gunslinger, as some would say. Gets that ball, he throws it around, 
and it results in picks sometimes. But you got to think about it. Andy Dalton's first few seasons in the league, he had Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, Andre Smith at right tackle, and A.J. Green healthy, which he never is anymore, which is sad because he's a once-in-a-lifetime talent, in my opinion. That's very similar to Dak Prescott, who has a top-five O-line. And Amari Cooper as his number one. And for a while, he had Des Bryant as his number one, too. He also had Jason Witten at the time, too. Oh, and I forgot to mention the coaches. Marvin Lewis, as much guff as he gets, and he, it's deserved guff. He coached 15 years in Cincinnati and didn't win one playoff game. But he was a good offensive coach. Not great, but solid. I think you can make a decent offensive coordinator somewhere. I mean, you can't write this. You can't write this stuff on a script or anything like that. If I'm the Dallas Cowboys right now, I'm Jerry Jones sitting at his desk right now. I'm in control of what happens here. I see what Dak Prescott's asking for. Highest paid quarterback in the NFL. I see the production. How different he is against teams he should beat and teams that he should beat if he was elite. Because he's asking for elite money here. I sit there and say, Dak, what have you done? Why should I pay you this money? This isn't your team. This is Zeke Elliott's team. As Zeke goes, the Dallas Cowboys go. That's just their offense. Now, it could be different. Now with Mike McCarthy. So, really, Jerry Jones doesn't have the ultimatum. Dak Prescott does. Dak Prescott needs to sign that franchise tag that the Cowboys have offered him. That he has yet to sign. Mike McCarthy's your head coach now. He's won a Super Bowl. He's coached Aaron Rodgers. He knows a thing or two about quarterbacks. Dak, what are you doing? You have not proved you deserve elite money yet. Keyword is yet. I think you could. But what you need to do is sign that franchise tag, come back for a year, play one year under Mike McCarthy, play one year with C.D. Lamb, and prove you're elite. It's that simple. If you want the money, prove it. Prove you earned it. The, the narrative, though, that Dak Prescott's trying to create is that he feels like he was underpaid for his services. All good young quarterbacks are underpaid. Patrick Mahomes, perfect example. The dude has been in the league technically three seasons. He's played two, though. He was a bench. He was behind Alex Smith, Brad Pine for a year. But in two full seasons, as the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, he's won MVP and he's won Super Bowl. He is criminally underpaid right now. Deshaun Watson's another example. He is criminally underpaid right now for what he is to the Houston Tech. He's the AFC's version of Russell Wilson. He has got nothing to work with, but yet he makes magic happen. Lamar Jackson. He just solidified himself as possibly the best mobile quarterback ever, and it's only year two. After all these people are talking about, oh, he should switch to running back. Oh, he's not a quarterback. He just won league MVP. And I think he's criminally underpaid. That's just how it goes in the NFL. When you come into the league as a young quarterback, you're going to be underpaid, especially if you're a really good one. The only situation where I think you'd be overpaid if you were a young quarterback is if you're Mitch Trubisky. 
who a second overall pick is making millions of do- is robbing millions of dollars from the Chicago Bears because he's just awful. There are very few quarterbacks me as a Jets fan would take over Sam Darnold. Mitch Trubisky is not one of them. I would not take Mitch Trubisky over Sam Darnold, and that's saying something. I'm not a fan of Sam Darnold. You need to swallow your pride, basically, is what I'm saying about Dak Prescott. Swallow your pride, sign that franchise tag, and go prove it. If you prove it, you get your money. You're going to be the high. You're, you'll be paid. You won't be the highest paid quarterback, probably, because Patrick Mahomes is going to get that eventually. Whenever he gets that contract extension, it's going to be absolutely absurd. Just like. For real. Prove it. You ain't done it yet. Do it. And if you don't prove it, take a pay cut. Let the team build around you. More than they already have. Build that defense. And go show them by winning the Super Bowl. That's simple. That's a lot for me to say, sitting right behind a microphone talking, but... It's that simple. Go out and prove it. But if you don't want to, that's fine because God was, they got a backup plan. His name's Andy Dalton. The stats are almost criminally, like, you couldn't write it. Like I mentioned, you couldn't write how almost identical these stats are. The losers, Dak. But if I was Jerry Jones and I had the decision, because really at the end, it's Dak. Dak has the decision to make. But if Dak chooses to continue to hold out, basically, and say, I want want my biggest contract. I want the big contract. If I was Jerry Jones, I'd say, nah. Go ahead. Hit the market. We got Andy Dalton. We're good. We're good. That's just me, though. A lot of people have different opinions on that. But when you go 6-17 and 17 against teams above 500, you have one playoff win that would not have even been a win if you were on the road. You haven't even sniffed the Super Bowl yet. You don't deserve to be making more than Russell Wilson. No doubt in my mind. Let's move on to our next topic. So we're going to have a little fun with this next topic we're rolling with here. We're calling it Breakout or Fake Out for the NFL. So as we know, every year in the NFL, we have a few guys that break out from every position for a season. For two seasons ago, it was Patrick Mahomes um, broke out after riding the bench for a full season behind Alex Smith, came out through a Threw for almost 5,000 yards, I think probably over 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, and one league MVP. He was definitely a breakout star, and he is still best quarterback probably in the NFL at the moment. You can make arguments for other people. You probably wouldn't win an argument, though. So I thought what we'd do for the next couple weeks on the Robson Sportscast is we're going to go through some of the key positions in the NFL. We'll start with the quarterbacks. Right now, this is what we're going to do, make out, break out or fake out quarterbacks edition. And we'll go through each week, and we'll change positions. So next week, we'll be halfbacks, then wide receivers, then tight ends, and then defensive players. So we're going to kick this off right away. Here we go. Breakout or fake out in the NFL 2020 season quarterbacks. So kicking it off, we got the biggest breakout star of the 2019 season, Lamar Jackson. 3,127 passing yards, 36 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 66.1 completion percentage with a 113.3 passer rating, add on to 1,206 rushing yards and 7 touchdowns. There's not much to talk about here. I mean, 
Lamar Jackson is unlike anything we have ever seen. The closest thing you can get to a Lamar Jackson is is Michael Vick. That's the closest thing you can get. Even then, they're different in so many ways. I mean, Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's just been through so much doubt already in his career. And it's quite criminal. Like, I really did think right when those drafts came around, you can ask anyone that I talk football with. I thought Lamar, I thought the Jets, my team, who drafted third, Sam Darnold, which I'm not a fan of, to say the least. But um, I thought Lamar Jackson was going to be the best quarterback out of this draft because he is what we are advancing to in the NFL. In the NFL now, you have to have mobility. I mean, that's why I think this, the future of our of the NFL is Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. I think that's the that would be the when people look at a quarterback soon. What a quarterback should look like now. It's Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray. Shifty guys with with arm talent. So I definitely think Lamar Jackson. I mean, nothing's changed in Baltimore. They only got better, in my opinion. They got J.K. Dobbins in the draft, uh, running back out of Ohio State. But if he can fix his, his fumbling issue that he had back at OSU, then I think he's going to be a great player. You got Mark Ingram. You got Hollywood Marquise Brown. I mean... Undoubtedly, no reason. Lamar Jackson, undoubtedly, in my opinion, a breakout star. 2020, he's going to be around for a long time. Next up on our list, Ryan Tannehill, quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. 2,742 passing yards with 22 touchdowns and six interceptions. Completed 70.3% of his passes with a 117.5 passer rating. Add that to 185 yards rushing and four touchdown passes. Now, I have experience with Ryan Tannehill, as I've mentioned plenty of times already in this episode. I am a New York Jets fan. Um, I played him for twice every year for a couple of years, and I like I like Ryan Tannehill. He is he's got a big arm. He is, in my opinion, one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL. He throws a pretty football, and really, in my opinion, he was looking like a franchise quarterback that one year. Where I think it was the first or second year, Adam Gase was the head coach there. And he had the Dolphins. He was the whole reason the Dolphins made the playoffs that year. They were just a solid football team. And, of course, everyone knows Ryan Tannehill tore his ACL, and he was never really the same down in Miami. Eventually, him leading to be traded to the Tennessee Titans. In Tennessee, Marcus Mariota, it seems he's not been what any of us thought he was going to be, another Heisman curse bust. And um, when Ryan Tannehill took over, this team changed. I mean, this team just looked so much better. And Ryan Tannehill, I'm not against Ryan Tannehill at all, but he's 31 years old. I don't recall a lot of people, a lot, especially a quarterback, changing teams, having a good season, and staying that way after 30. I mean, you can argue Brett Favre did it, but he came out of retirement twice. Retired once, came back, retired, then came back again. I mean... And Brett Favre, mentioning Brett Favre in the same sentence as Ryan Tannehill is doing Brett Favre a discredit. And that's no, not a diss to Ryan Tannehill. Just Brett Favre is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And let's not kid ourselves. This is Derrick Henry's team talking about the Tennessee Titans. It's Derrick Henry's team. I mean, this dude is a bulldozer. It's taken him a couple years to really get in stride, but he's got the head coach, Mike Vrabel, who's old school, run it in your grill football. I mean, it showed in the postseason. I mean, he was the whole reason they won those two first games against the Patriots and the Ravens. That The defense played lights out those two games, but Derrick Henry could not and would not be stopped. And I mean, Ryan Tannehill, in those two postseason wins that they had, 15 passes combined. He didn't do anything. He didn't need to, which is not a knock on him. I mean... <laughs> You got 15 passes in the new game. That's good. As long as we're winning football games. Brian Tannehill signed a big contract with the Titans, and it's it's questionable, in my opinion. I really don't see Ryan Tannehill continuing the success that he had last season. I think he's still going to be a good game-managing quarterback, but I don't think there's any career renaissance here. I think Ryan Tannehill will be a fake-out for next season. Next up, got a name I've already mentioned, Kyler Murray, quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. 3,722 passing yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 64.4 completion percentage, 
87.4 passer rating, along with 544 yards rushing and four touchdowns. I mean, Kyler Murray is awesome. I loved him in Oklahoma, and I love him in the NFL. And I love him even more now because he's got DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, their best receiver before the Hopkins trade was still Larry Fitzgerald, and he is pushing way, way, way past his prime. And that's not a discredit to him. I love me some Larry Legend, but his time's way past. And it's I'm really glad that A, the Cardinals were able to make that move, and B, the Texans were that stupid to make that move. Correction, Bill O'Brien was that stupid to move move DeAndre Hopkins. But um Yeah, I mean that's he's got a number one now, and that number one happens to be, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in football. And much like Lamar Jackson, who I talked about first, he's an unreal athlete. I mean, this dude is shifty. He makes moves in the pocket that I am seriously impressed with. He is a short guy. He's about my height, maybe an inch or two taller. But he doesn't play like it. He just has a pocket awareness. He, he reminds me a little bit of Drew Brees in the pocket. He moves around that pocket well. Now, albeit sometimes he does have to run for his life because that offensive line is not that great. But you pair that, DeAndre Hopkins. And at the end of the season, he finished 15th in in quarterback rating. That uh, 15th in quarterback rating, yeah. That was that at the end of the season, that was over Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Who are considered two of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Aaron Rodgers, I think, is the most talented quarterback ever. And Tom Brady, of course, with accomplishments and all that, he's the greatest of all time. I think if there is anyone that could be the Lamar Jackson of 2020, Kyler Murray, in my opinion. I think he's going to be the breakout star next season. I definitely do think he is definitely a breakout. Next up, Gardner Minshew, quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. 3,271 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, 6 picks, 60.6 completion percentage with a 91.2 passer rating with 344 yards rushing. To me, this is an easy one. Um, Gardner Minshew is in a terrible situation. Um, Jacksonville is the epitome of rebuild. They are the New York Knicks of football. They just are constantly rebuilding. I mean, they have no weapons outside of DJ Chark. I mean, that's it. Chark is all they got in terms of offensive weapons. He's got a terrible head coach. And it sounds like that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to move on from Leonard Fournette, along with Ganeek and Gakwe. I mean, this team is a train wreck. They have an incompetent coach. Like I said, a competent, an incompetent owner. I mean, they really are the New York Knicks of football. And I, to any Jacksonville Jaguars fans listening, I'm sorry you have to be compared to the New York Knicks, but it's just true. Definitely, I think, in my opinion, Gardner Mitchell's not even going to be their quarterback next year. It's probably going to be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. That's just how it goes, and I think Gardner Mitchell's undoubtedly a fake out. Next up on our list, we got Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. 3,089 passing yards, 20 touchdowns with nine interceptions, a 58.8% completion percentage. 85.3 passer rating, along with 510 rushing yards and nine touchdowns. So, Josh Allen, he is sneaky athletic. He's a big dude out of Wyoming. But he's got mobility. Like, he's sneaky athletic. He reminds me a lot. Now, I'm not comparing these two at all in any way, shape, or form. They are two completely different players. But he kind of reminds me of Arkansas quarterback Felipe Franks, former Florida quarterback. Felipe Franks is 6'6", 245. And he's got a he has got a not like a NASA rocket for an arm. Like he just throws that football so far. But when he was put into Dan Mullen's system, he just he's mobile. He's got athleticism. He's sneaky athletic. Josh Allen's that. He is sneaky athletic. He can move in that pocket. He makes big throws. And now he's got Stephon Diggs. Uh, who is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated receivers in the NFL. He is just in he's just in a bad place in Minnesota, I think. I just don't think their head coach, Mike Zimmer, really... Every time... I, when, I, when the trade was made, when the Buffalo Bills trade for Stephon Diggs, 
They just talk about how everybody was calling him, like Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, even though they had some drama in the midseason last season. But, I mean, clearly no beef there. There was one name that was never mentioned, and that was Mike Zimmer. I don't think Mike Zimmer ever really cared about Stephon Diggs, and I know that's going to change in Buffalo. But outside of Diggs, he, ha- he does not have a lot. I think their next best receiver is John Brown and Cole Beasley. I mean, that's not that great. In my opinion, to be successful, you need at least one star receiver and one number two. I just don't see them having... If Cole Beasley is your two, there's something wrong. I mean, Cole Beasley, he's a good player, but he's 5'9". He's my height. I mean, come on. You need you actually need a solid number two receiver. That's why I like the, Buc- the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so much. One side they got a massive human being for a wide receiver, Mike Evans, who stands six five. Another side, and the other side they got a speed freak and Chris Godwin. I mean, it's outside of that. And plus, I mentioned that fifty eight point eight completion percentage. That's just not good. Stephon Diggs can catch. 50-50 balls, but he actually has to be able to catch a football. Like, you have to throw it on target. And so that's why I got Josh Allen at a fake out. Um, Baker Mayfield is another one I have. Um, Baker Mayfield, um, he's not on my list here, but I just came up with a couple more in my head. Um, Baker Mayfield's another one. He's got an improved offensive line. I think he's got a new head coach. I, I really do think Baker Mayfield will be a breakout star next year. And um, another one that came to mind was Sam Darnold. I'm going to try and keep my cool about this one. Because if you any of you know me personally or just been listening to this episode, you know I'm not a huge Sam Darnold guy. But I do think Sam Darnold is going to have a solid season next year. I think he won't be necessarily... He's kind of in the middle of the road for me. Between breakout and fakeout. I think he's going to show that he can make plays when he's got time. I think the offensive line is going to give him time. I think he's going to be able to find Rashad Perriman and Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder and a healthy Chris Herndon more. I think it's going to open up holes for Le'Veon Bell, too, in the receiving game and the running game. But he's still got Adam Gase as his head coach. He's not going to do anything with him. They need to fire him and get someone else in there. Hopefully, maybe like a Lincoln Riley or something like that. Somebody who knows quarterbacks. And then I can probably have a little hope in Sam Darnold. But I'm undecided on what Darnold really is right now. And that's not a knock on Sam, even though I'm not a huge fan of him. I really do want him to succeed. I'm tired of being told about the butt fumble every time I mention I'm a Jets fan. So I'm rooting for you, Sam. And that concludes this week's episode of Fake Out or Breakout. Next week, we'll be talking NFL running backs. Let's move on to our next topic. It's back. It being the NBA. Yes, sir. It is back. July 31st has been announced the date that 22 of the 30 NBA teams will return to action in Disney World at Orlando, Florida. We'll participate in eight regular season games to wrap up the season and start the NBA playoffs. I am so Freaking excited, man. I cannot believe we're actually going to get some live basketball, not just a bunch of reruns. So here's how this is going to work. It's a little confusing in points and places, but we're going to get through this. So they'll play eight regular season games. These 22 teams that I mentioned will be the 16 current playoff teams, plus the New Orleans Pelicans, Portland Trailblazers, Phoenix Suns, Sacramento Kings, San Antonio Spurs, and Washington Wizards. So we're not getting all these garbage teams coming back. We're just getting 22, which is awesome. I'll talk more about that in a sec. Let's get through the rest of this stuff. So let's put a little hypothetical theory out there. Now say the eight seed. Let's just take a team from the West and say they got the eight seed. Let's just take the Pelicans. We'll take the Pelicans for an example. Say the Pelicans are the current eight seed and they have it locked up by four or more games by the end of the season. They're in. They lock it up. The Pelicans are in the playoffs. 
Now, let's say it's not locked up by the end of the season. Say there's some debate between them, the eight seed, and the nine seed. Let's say the nine seed is the... I'm a big Carmelo Anthony guy. We'll go Portland Trailblazers. So then the Blazers and the Pelicans will play a little series. Possibly. So Pelicans are the eight seed, Blazers are the nine seed. If in the if in the game the Pelicans were to beat the Trailblazers, they're in. But if the Blazers beat the Pelicans, they have they have to win one more game and then they're in. So basically, it's the AC needs to win one game and the ninth seed needs to win two games to get in. Now they will be practicing locally starting in July before a full training camp begins in Orlando. Due to the ongoing coronavirus, they will be forced to take daily coronavirus tests and they'll be forced to to go by the rules of social distancing. But they are allowed to, in their free time, to golf and go out and eat dinner or lunch or whatever at outdoor restaurants. I think that's a good idea. Make sure they're still following the rules that we need to follow to make sure that we try and contain this virus. But also, you don't want to make them so deprived of human interaction to where they get depression or something like that. I mean, you need social interaction. That's what we're all struggling with right now. Then again, I don't know anyone on any of these teams that's a big golfer. When you think about it, I mean, I know Curry is, I think, Steph Curry is a big golfer, but he's on the Warriors, and the Warriors aren't even near this. Strange. Um... If any of y'all know any golfers and you know me personally or you follow the podcast on Instagram at the Robson Sportscast, please just let me know because I don't know of any of these teams, the 16 playoff teams plus those uh, other ones I mentioned earlier. Like, I don't know if any big time golfers on that one. Now, I don't know if Charles Barkley is involved in any of this. He's going to try and get over there and golf. But every time I, I swear to God, every time I watch that guy golf, it looks like he's going to pull a hip or pull a hammy or something like something's going to get hurt. But anyway, <laughs> after I just talked crap about Charles Barkley and his golf game, which is it's pretty horrendous. Um, I just want to say real quick, I'm so glad it's only the important teams. Um, like I mentioned, the Warriors earlier, they're not even going to be sniffing the playoffs at all. They're they're the worst team in the NBA, and it's not only their fault. Um, they had a lot of bad things happen to them in terms of injuries. We don't get have to watch the New York Knicks anymore, which me being a Knicks fan, that makes me so happy. My depression's over for at least one more NBA season. Oh my goodness, I'm so happy. <laughs> but um, the biggest thing for me that I'm so happy about, and I'm sure the NBA's happened about in terms of their profit, Zion Williamson getting back on TV. I think we all, in a weird way, have been sort of deprived of a Zion Williamson bullying and dunking on somebody. Not even dunking, just bullying people like they're... Man children. Like, he's a man amongst boys, and it's quite crazy to watch, I will admit. But um, I'm glad he's back. I'm sure the NBA definitely is too. That's going to bring a lot of dollars in there. Uh, also, having guys like LeBron, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, all those big names back on a television screen is going to be huge for the NBA's profit because they're the only major sport running right now. I mean, you have professional wrestling going on right now, but they're not—they're doing it with their local talent, not even doing like audience-wise. They're doing it with local talent. We're actually going to have real deal basketball. Like people actually watch basketball. Not a lot of people watch professional wrestling anymore. I did when I was like ten, but um, I'll be honest with you guys—I don't know who's going to win this whole shindig. Um, I'm just glad it's back. Um. Whoever wins it, though, I will have to admit, will have to have kind of one of those those air quotes, those asterisks by their champion. You know what I mean? Like, and I hate to say that, especially if it's a team that has been starved for champ. Like, say the Bucks win the NBA championship. I don't even. Remember. I think it was with Kareem the last time they won the NBA championship. Someone fact check me on that. Just shoot me a message on either Instagram or if you know me personally, just text me. I think that was the last time they won a championship. Was when Kareem was. The champ, well, Kareem was the man, not the champ, the man. Um, but yeah, if they win that, they're gonna have to have an asterisk by it. I mean, in my opinion, winning the NBA championship this season may have even a little less value, even 
little less value than the Raptors championship last year, which I didn't really think meant that much because a healthy Warriors team probably sweeps that team because that was a one-man team. But either way, I am so happy real NBA basketball is back. I've been watching reruns of games from a long time ago. I think the oldest game I watched was a finals between a finals game between Magic Lakers and Bird Celtics. I think that's the oldest one I saw. Um, it was fun, but it's just so weird. A, it hurt my eyes just seeing that weird resolution I used to have back then on my TV. And just seeing how different the game is then compared to now. Um, also watched a couple uh, Knicks games, guys, because that's when they were good. I think they had a a week or something like that it was called Lynn Sanity Week or something like that when uh, Jeremy Lynn was a rookie coming out of Harvard undrafted and he came in and just lit it up after Carmelo Anthony got hurt. And then, of course, Carmelo, as much as I love the guy, God forbid someone tries to take his spotlight. <laughs> And he comes in, and that team's chemistry is just all out of whack. Um, but still, good to reminisce on the good times to be a Knicks fan, which were very slim to none at this point. Um, but I'm loyal, though. If I've been a Jets fan for all this time, after the butt fumble, you know, I'd probably be. I think I, I could survive being a Knicks fan. It pays off. It pays off. I've seen it. I have seen it. It has paid off. I mean, all them Eagles fans, man. How long did they wait for the Super Bowl? Their whole lives, they finally got it. My dad, even, he's a big Seahawks fan. God almighty, I went, I talked about the Seahawks earlier on this episode. They were relevant until Russell Wilson got there. And then they finally won the Super Bowl. I was there when they won the Super Bowl. It's hilarious about that one, though, is I uh, went to the bathroom when Percy Harvin, at the start of the second half, returned to kickoff. Always missed the good stuff. Always missed the good stuff. But anyway, yeah, the NBA is back. I'm so excited to have it back. I will be tuning in definitely first chance I get to watch some NBA action. It's going to feel so good just having live professional basketball back. It's going to be awesome. Hope you guys are looking forward to it as much as I am. And I hope you guys also are looking forward to episode two of the Robson Sportscast as much as I am. This episode was a lot of fun to record. It is way late in the night, but I was having so much fun. My energy is on another level. I'm probably not going to be able to sleep tonight, but so it goes. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next Monday with another episode. And once again, thank you for tuning in. This has been the Robson Sportscast. This is Alex Robson, your host, signing off.